Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You can't go The most brilliant ideas start with a simple need. And the simple need was that couple in Paris who said, I just don't want one of these cabs. And Uber was born. Hey, look, smack at the top of my why didn't I come up with that list is Uber, the seven-year-old revolutionary ride-sharing app that has surged its way across the globe and the vernacular of millennials. It's disrupted the once serene market for crappy cabbie sedans. It's redefining the boundaries of part-time work and long-held truths about car ownership. Don't look now, but Uber is valued at more than $62 billion. Quote, we are the Uber of, or like the Uber of, has become standard press release cliche. And here's another cliche for you. The app that changed the world. On full disclosure, stay with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Health Warrior, maker of Chia Bars. Why sacrifice taste for health when we put a man on the moon, after all? Sporting only 5 grams of sugar and 100 calories each, Health Warrior Chia Bars are the only bar with superfood chia seeds as the number one ingredient. They've become my go-to power snack with flavors like coconut, chocolate peanut butter, dark chocolate, banana nut, and personal favorite, mango. Pick some up at stores like Whole Foods, Wegmans, Target, or for my RVA listeners, Elwood Thompson's. If you're bold enough to buy a box of 15 bars, get 15% off at healthwarrior.com by entering code FULL15 at checkout. And by Elwood Thompson's. The success of Elwood Thompson's is determined by customer connection, steward happiness, and local community engagement. We intend to grow our business by offering clean, high-quality products at fair prices with friendly, knowledgeable customer assistance. Elwood's is a mission-first driven business. Real local RVA, and you must check out Brunch at Elwood's now served every weekend, Saturdays till 11 a.m., Sundays till 2 p.m., and The Beat and Indian Wednesdays. Visit them at the top of Carytown and at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us in studio, Uber driver Matt Donlin, who founded and runs Userve. Uh, it's like an open table for Uber. Thank you for joining us, sir. Is it on Grinder as well? No. Oh, uh, and, and sitting next to Matt is Helene Spivak, veteran uh, New York City ad woman and director of the VCU Brand Center. She has no driver's license, um, doesn't know the first thing about taking a driver's test. She Ubers religiously and chronically, and it is such a joy to finally have you on the show, Helene. It's a joy to be here. And no, I'm not on Grinder. Oh, you're not on Grinder. No, I'm not. Are you Whatever on Twister or Friendster? <laughs> you know, all your students are uh, insouciant millennials. I think that you have your finger on the pulse of all these things. I, I would like to start with you because when I first met you a couple of years ago, you're a transplant from New York to Central Virginia. This is not a uh, subway or mass transit market. I mean, it's making strides in that respect. A little. But you have no qualms without just Ubering everywhere. You have your iPhone with you. And your students do this. And this has really become a way of life for you. It is my life. And it changed my life. And that thing you said about changing the world, it changed my world. I absolutely adore Uber. I tell everybody about it. I get as many people on it as possible. And uh, otherwise, I would be sitting at home or trying to date someone with a car. <laughs> but I don't understand. I mean, people would think it's cost prohibitive at the very outset. Of course, you don't sit back and back of the envelope, the carrying costs of a vehicle, insurance, gas, maintenance, um, parking, if you're in a tight part of town. Uh, but you do you actually tabulate the numbers and say, gosh, if I'm blowing 60 or $70 on Uber every day, does it even come to that for you? No, I do it uh, two to three times a day, and the prices are very reasonable. 
much more reasonable here in Richmond than when I occasionally go back to New York. But it's still more reasonable in New York, and it's available, and after a while, it's I'm very comfortable with it. I don't understand. Some people are not comfortable. I'm not going to get into a car with a stranger. Well, what do you do every time you get into a cab? And they're much stranger than Uber drivers, believe me. Sure. Now, Matt, you, you did not uh, grow up, look outside your window and say, I want to be a, a, a driver when I grow up. I mean, this kind of happens serendipitously or accidentally for you. When did wh- Where did you come from, and how did you first learn about Uber? Well, I read about it in the paper, and... You know, I thought, wow, what a cool technology. I'm a technology guy and and how disruptive this is to the normal status quo. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. I, I've been in business a little bit, sold a company here and there. Uh, but I, I thought, well, let me try this out. One of my favorite jobs as a kid was delivering flowers. So just driving around and exploring the city, seeing places in the city I would have never, you know, encountered Without Uber, you know, I got to enjoy working when I want to work. You turn the app on, you're working. You don't, if you don't want to work, you turn it off. So that's how I started. It was August 14th is when it came to Richmond. August 14th of 2015? No, August 2014. Oh, August 2014. That's when it came to Richmond. So how did you look at this as a kind of a way to variableize your hours? For example, if you're not making, is it an operations thing where if you're not having productive hours during the day or sitting around or billing clients, you can be a, a, a cab for hire? I did it for fun. I enjoy people. I enjoy the kind of folks that get in my car. I've driven some celebrities. Ann Holton was the first Uber ride I ever had. I took her to the train station, Tim Kaine's wife. I've uh, had a rock band I took to uh, Richmond Coliseum. I didn't know who they were at the time, the party next door. My kids told me they were awesome, so I looked them up, and they, they were awesome. So it, to me, it's enjoyable, and I, I have a little change money I can give my kid in school. So it's sort of fun. Now, what is your day job? Uh, I don't have a real day job. I have investments. I have a horse hospital. I have a um, little interest in a whiskey company. I've got— You're trying a, to tell us you're a money launderer. <laughs> I, I, no, no. I, I'm, I started in— security in the government. Uh-huh. I was the head of security and intelligence for an agency called DARPA, Defense uh-huh. Advanced of Research. Of course, of course. Yeah, so that led me to create this idea of doing highly secure internet collaboration in the mid-90s and formed a company in 2000. And so we, we served uh, people that cared about cybersecurity, and it was acquired in 2006. So I've, I've been sort of like doing other things since then. And Uber, to me, is a fun thing to do if you have spare time. So it's really not for the pocket change or the spare cash. That's a that's a, a perk that it throws off. It seems like... Yeah. But it also led me to the idea of what, what is missing in Uber. As great as it is, it's a great engine. There are gaps that could be filled. And that's what led to Usur, where I founded a company that bridges the gaps and it improves the experience for the rider, the driver, and Uber. Now, and I, I, do, I do want to get to Usur because it's All fascinating. Right. You use it almost like a Windows platform to build a derivative product off of Uber uh, to kind of improve this uh, in addition to being uh, uh, available on Twister and Grinder, um, <laughs> I do want to, you know, I, I kind of want to get back to the genesis of this. I don't know if it's apocryphal, but the founder, Travis Kalanick, was at his, with his girlfriend in Paris on New Year's Eve several years ago. They couldn't hail a cab. They don't want to deal with these Paris cabbies who are difficult even in a non-peak situation. And they, they back of the envelope this situation where they could come up with an app to um, allow spare capacity around the world to match 
uh, people who need rides with people who can offer rides. And it seems eminently like so reasonable. Everybody's carrying a powerful computer in their pockets right now. It's GPS enabled. Um, you can have you don't have to worry about uh, somebody stiffing you off a fare if it's credit card controlled. Now, I would have, you know, that that's a great idea, but I would have stopped thinking that, uh, no, the taxi cab industry the world over is extremely entrenched politically. Like New York, where we came from, the TLC medallions cost, you know, a million dollars. You can't just come in and step on their thing. You'd be thwarted by government. But I had a VC on. Um, several months ago, and he said, technologists don't think that way. They come up with the idea first, and they're sure that the idea is going to get past the bureaucracy. That's how Uber did it. From what I hear from someone who was initially asked to invest in Uber, uh, said that this is a ridiculous model. You're not going to be able to go into a city and get past all the regulations. And they went into every city, and they got past the regulations. And at that point, they got so big, it was very difficult to push them back, although some of the, like Paris, I believe, pushed back. Austin just pushed them back this week because when... Uh, you know, there's been some controversy in the taxi cab commissions around the country have played up the security element of it as if cabs are, you know, any more safe, really, as if you know if you're getting into an anonymous cab. Um, still, it's taking over the world. You hear about you hear about fights between Uber drivers right. and, and in, in Kenya and taxi cab people. You, uh, the, the Uber driver that took me to the airport last week says that he's heckled when he comes here like you stole our business. There's certainly, Matt, an element of entitlement with the taxi industry. Like, listen, I've fought for years to, um, you know, pay my rent on the medallion, to aspire to hold the cash flow, to buy the medallion. And this has rapidly kind of showed up and moved my cheese. Yeah. So like in Mexico, I had a guy in my car. He goes, yeah, what happens in Mexico is that uh, they'll call an Uber. Taxi people will call an Uber. When they show up, they'll beat them up. I mean, there's a lot of hate and discontent amongst this very disruptive group of folks that want to drive and partner for Uber, you know, and it's a culture we have. I don't know if any any listener out there has ever been in a cab in Mexico City. It's an intensely dangerous experience. A lot of kids that get kicked out of their parents' houses, uh, you know, truants, people are just very reckless. This is their last way to make a buck before going into the black market formally. It's a it's not a pleasant experience. And somewhere right. in cahoots with, with kidnappers, so to have any element of transparency into the process or know who's picking you up or have your credit card getting your back is a huge plus in a in a sprawling metropolis like Mexico City. Yes. I mean, the, the culture we have, though, first of all, we own our cars, right? So there's a, there's a different mentality than maybe a taxi that don't own their cars. And so we have a little bit pride of, of giving a service because we've all had taxi experiences that haven't been great. And I think most of the people I deal with in the Uber world, because I know a lot of them in town, they all self-police themselves. It's it's incredible. They will talk about how to behave at an airport, how not to litter. I mean, these these folks here take it a little bit more serious than a taxi person would, I mean, based on my experience. Matt, what can a full-time Uber driver make in a week in a decent kind of mid-sized city? Help me help me kind of figure it out. Uh, it's, it's dependent on the city. In New York, would they say that, hey, you have to get 2500 to 3000 a week to survive in New York. In 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 Richmond, uh, based on all the Uber drivers, the serious full-time guys, they they try to bring in probably 15-1600 a week. That would be a good week for them. And how does that compare to say what a taxi person who owns a medallion would make? I have no idea what a taxi makes. All I know is they get 50% of the cut, but they don't have to pay for the maintenance of the car or the gas. Uh, Uber drivers only get 80% of the fare, and they don't get tipped, which is a you know, shame because 
you know, Uber has convinced people that the tip is baked in. It's not, right? So, you know, we, it would be great if, if folks did provide for good service an additional gratuity. They just don't do it in, in the Uber world. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Helene. Uh, in New York, I remember the cabbies there were really resistant to putting in credit card readers. Very and, well. Uh, you know, in the in late 90s when the prospect first emerged in the full rollout in 2000, and remember – Eartha Kit on that little screen saying, ah, the taxi cop commission is <laughs> yes. so annoying and turning off the, you know, Channel 7 news and everything. Yeah. But I think it, it was kind of the, the cram down of that optionality was great for them because they realized that the default options were like 15, 20, 25 percent right. more and that on average they were collecting huge, you know, people, especially on expense accounts, were just putting in the highest possible tip. Um what has been your experience? And you know, you you are an advertising person, a brand person. You have a story to tell. You use Uber quite a bit. What are some of the more fascinating people you've found on it, and and why they're doing it, and what their motivations might be? Well, what's interesting are the people I meet who drive me. Um, everybody who's uh, entrepreneurial will find a way to turn Uber into their own business. I met one driver who. Um, used Uber as his um, employment office. He, he looked for jobs as he was driving. And he was in advertising. He's very enterprising. He's here in Richmond, a transplant like me from New York. And he actually met his current, uh, the, the, the man he's working for now, his company, in the Uber car. He uses it for interviews. Mm. Yeah. So uh, what, what else can you do with it? You can constantly make money uh, when you have your own job as well, if you have a full-time job and then, ah, you know, I got a call and I figured, what the heck. So it's it's just very, very flexible. And it, Matt, it kind of opens up this idea that anything that's a wasting asset or not efficiently used. I mean, we've seen this with hotels in the past. I mean, after all, Priceline in the 90s came in, you know, Kayak, others. If you have a inventory that's just perishing or, or sitting fallow, it's wasted. There's an opportunity cost or there's a maintenance cost in having that there if you can liquidate it. And this is, you know, you take, you, you step back from this. What this is doing, and you're talking about the gig economy and the Uber economy and the sharing economy, is it's making everything kind of variable. There's a, a blood drawing service that's venture-backed locally that said we're like the Uber of for phlebotomists, right? On demand, we could just show up, we could do this. Um, when, when, when this kind of set off... Uh, light bulbs in your head like, wow, this is a big deal. I mean, after all, this company is now valued at $63 billion. It doesn't have any car inventory, no heavy material. Right. It's all intellectual property, the app, and the network effects of the business. Um, I, I want to kind of get at what else it, it kind of lends itself to. If you were to extrapolate, look out five years into the future or 10 years in the future in your crystal ball, because if it's the sharing economy and everything is eligible, what else do you see happening? Well, the, the vertical market I see that is ripe for taking on an Uber-like kind of program is the healthcare system. I mean, independent nurses, independent doctors aren't getting paid what they thought they were getting paid. And if I'm there and I can see somebody request to get blood drawn or shot or something like that, and I can make extra money, I think you could have a whole Uber effect in the healthcare market that way. There are a lot of delivery systems that are also being used in an Uber fashion. They already have Uber Eats, but dispatching, you know, just general dispatching for on-demand economies, you know, I, I see that ripe, whether it be parts being delivered to the field to a technician that normally would cost you $80, could cost you $15 to get to the field. So there's, there's a whole bunch of Uber-like things left to be uh, taken on. Uh, but, you know, Uber is definitely, you know, how awesome is it that they make you think that way, right? So even outthinking the government 
where you just go, like you said earlier, and they didn't ask permission. They just went. And, and boy, they had some – they were very brave legal teams that went along with okay. the success of Uber for sure. But we are seeing hiccups in the process. I mean, it has taken over the world. But, for example, uh, Uber recently reached a settlement with drivers in California and Massachusetts where the drivers will remain classified as contractors and receive up to $100 million in compensation. Now, there's been pushback from the drivers that, for example, we should be able to tip. We should unionize. Uh, we should get more more of a cut uh, for our efforts, that surge pricing is really controversial. I mean, if you were trying to go, I've heard these horror stories, you know, Miami, New Year's Eve from South Beach to downtown. Right. It was like 8x what the normal fare will be, but that's what the market will bear. And there's a driver out there that's giving up his New Year's Eve so he can take you and your drunk friends 10 blocks. So it's really, it's really uh, putting a supply-demand equilibrium on all sorts of transactions in the economy. It's perfect that way. I, I When I hear complaints about the surge, I say, well, listen, you know, you have an option. You don't have to take the Uber. You, you have to put in what the surge rate is. And if it's not that important to you, wait, wait 10 minutes, wait an hour. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I, I don't do it at night because I prefer just to do it in the day. But I, you know, my experience is, you know, what Uber should take more credit for is saving lives. I take so many people back yeah. to their cars that they left because they had been drinking. And I said, hey, if it wasn't for Uber, uh, if it wasn't for Uber, if they had to wait 45 minutes maybe to get a taxi, uh, they may have convinced themselves they were sober enough to drive. And I got to tell you, it's incredible the amount of folks that um, have – relied on Uber from a safety and security standpoint, and Uber doesn't take enough credit for that. I'm responsible for 200 students, and I can't tell you the fact that they all know Uber. Every driver who my students take say, oh, yeah, we, we took your director. We, we drove her this morning. They're all taking Uber. And all I can think is I, I feel safer knowing that weekends, if they have a beer or two too many, that there's there's that on call. The whole world is uh, an app away. Uh, this is our society now. You can you can do anything now. Sitting sitting in one place, you can get your food. You can get transportation. You can get uh, blood tests. You you can get anything that you want now, and and that is the world. Full disclosure: This is Robin Farzad. We are talking all things Uber today. You're listening to Helene Spivak, the veteran ad woman who runs the VCU Brand Center. Um, she Ubers at least. 800 times a day, is that correct? Well, maybe a little exaggerated, maybe two to three. And on weekends, to four, maybe. <laughs> to five. And Matt Donlan, founder and CEO of Userve. It's a concierge service for Uber. It lets you kind of custom tailor the Uber experience. Uh, it's a platform that's built on Uber, and he Ubers not because he needs the money, but he drives the Uber card for, for lead generation and to build the business. And, um, I, you know, Matt, last week I took an Uber to the airport, and there was a guy who showed up in a gorgeous um, – new Toyota Avalon, like, you know, even a like black car service caliber thing. And as I put my suitcase in his trunk, I saw a bunch of his real estate signs. I was like, oh, you do, you do real estate on the side and everything? He goes, oh, it's a good thing you asked. That's why I'm driving this car. I want to meet prospective people who yeah. need this. I don't need to do this. And in fact, I don't do those drunk pickups. I only do airport rides so I can have a long quality conversation. Mm -hmm. So he's looking specifically, you know, he's cruising on Broad Street and I left my car, the car service place and needed a ride to the airport. He is custom tailoring. It's it's fascinating. It felt a little weird in that, you know, I was um I was not a, I was a customer, but I was also kind of a target for captured a pitch, audience. A captured audience. But he thought it was great. You know, I'm a journalist. I could potentially have him on the show. So that was a case where he does not want to be available for what he thought were the dregs of Uber. These people that 
you know, they, they, they split the fare, they're drunk, they're rude, they're fumbling around with the app. And I see it's happening in college towns and it really ticks people off. I mean, as opposed to fighting with a cabbie, if you're at Columbia or NYU, you arrange it all on an Uber thing. Are you similarly, you know, you're, you could just turn it on when you want to turn it on and take the kind of rides that you want. Yeah, I do. And it's, uh, it's great that way. Work when you want to work, you know, and um, if I pull in a good fare, have a good conversation, I've done a lot of market research myself with folks in the car. Uh, I'm here because I actually uh, had somebody in the car. Uh, so it, it opens up some opportunities that you would never have. And, you know, it, and it's fun uh, to meet all different kinds of people. I pride myself that I can talk to anybody about almost anything. And, it, and you know, I can find a connection, whether it be, hey, where are you coming from? California. I know somebody in California. We, I've made connect the dots part of the fun factor of being an Uber driver. And that, again, you know, just to, to, to fill that in, you guys met in an Uber. Yeah. Of course, you struck up a famous conversation. You're like, you're thinking, I got a live one here. <laughs> All sorts of lead generation. She can give me advertising students. I can get, you hired one of her students now. I have hired several of her students, yeah. So, but I, I again, I, what I told her is that I've taken a lot of folks, and I don't drive all that often, but it seems to me that I'm taking somebody from the airport that's coming here specifically because they got accepted into the brand center. And it's got that big of a reputation. And so, you know, I strike up conversations with these folks because they're all fascinating, right? They're, they're artsy. They're, they're you know, entrepreneurial. They, they have something special that they get to come to this brand center. So, uh, you know, when I uh, got her in my car, that was sort of like a cool, cool thing to have. Serendipitous. Yeah. Also, I think the next Uber is probably going to come out from one of the students from the brand center. (laughs) Plug, shameless plug. Absolutely. There's an article in Fortune where a uh, prominent VC said that, look, uh, how I got into Uber's seed round, which had pre-money valuation of less than $4 million. Again, it's worth $63 billion as of today. Uh, It's worth 13,000 times more than when this uh, VC invested. She said, I originally heard about Uber from my personal driver who took me to the airport. Roger handed me a card and said, I'm not an investor, but if I were, I would call this guy. This company is going to be huge. He was their first driver, I believe, or at least one of their first drivers. Eventually, his whole family was driving for Uber. He kept handing me cards, and after meeting Travis at a demo pitch, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, at one of uh, a VC's Open Angel forums, I knew that I needed to finally call him. Luckily, he let me in to invest. Um, I think back at this. If somebody had come to me or Helene to you or the investors you deal with on your board and in 2009, 2010 said we had idea, this idea, I'd blow all sorts of holes in it. I would not invest in it. Uh, Many didn't and many are are kicking themselves now, but you you can't know that. It went against everything. It went against logic and it certainly went against the perception of what the government will allow. I, however, have absolutely no um, I have no problem taking Uber against cab companies. I don't feel sorry for the cab companies. They were complacent. And when you're complacent, uh, when somebody comes in and does something better, you are you are, you are disrupted. Yeah. And um, each 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 car is an entrepreneurial spirit in it, that, driving it. And that's why the, your real estate guy said I could use it for this. And that's why a man I I, I met. Uh, used it to advertise uh, himself and what Matt is doing now, using it as market research, you know, hands-on market research. When you get people that are that entrepreneurial and care that much, you get really good experiences when you're in that car. 
And again, from the passenger side, just as the driver can pick who they who they want to have in their car, I can pick who I want driving me. And there were, have been a few times when I went cancel. I'm not going to be with that driver. I don't like their rating. You know, mm. so there's a, there's a check and balance and a safety and a logic, and everything. Like when Facebook started as a, uh, a vehicle to pick up women, basically, you know, to find hot women in college. You put it out there, and the people who are using it will tell you what direction it's going in. People are taking things over and making things happen that the founders didn't realize could happen. Yeah, this takes us to Userve. I mean, this is your entree to tell us that right. you could build a better mousetrap on this, kind of like a bolt-on for Uber, where, for example, you could help Elaine do her homework. That Some of the best, some of the creme de la creme drivers that she'd like maybe for a brand center event if she's bringing a VIP into town. Right. I want to work with you, Matt, and I want to work with you, serve to kind of, um, you know, whittle the cream for me. And, and so I just don't have to leave myself open to the rating system and the back and forth. How does it work? How did you come up with your idea? All right. Well, you know, Uber's great, as we said. It's on demand. They, their business model is flood the market with drivers, hit a button, get a car, off you go. Um, you know, I've been asked many times in my car, how can I get you again? How can I get you again? And the answer is, well, I can give you a text, which is unwieldy, and I don't want to give out my personal identifiable Wait, hold on. Is it against the rules of engagement of Uber to give the number? Because I've known that when they, they get rid of the number after the uh, the experience is over, so you can't even text the person and say thank you. But there are ways around this, like you could get a burner number or a temporary number or a Google Voice number. Yeah, they, they mask Because the, I, I am – again, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but then you could in, in theory and in practice circumvent their – their commission. Right. But you'd be totally not smart to do that, right, from a liability standpoint. You don't want to ever go off app. And our company promotes that you stay on app and use the Uber app always. Um, yeah. The, the What has happened is a lot of people have a book of business. They have people that like them and they exchange information and say, hey, I'm going to the airport at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Are you available? Yes, I am. I'll be in your driveway. Request Uber. Off we go. Uh, that's the way a lot of people have sort of done it, and, and you know, there's, it doesn't violate Uber's terms of service at all. Uh, but what I've found is, from a rider perspective, you know, I can give you the best experience ever and not get rewarded to get repeat business from you, really, in the Uber, the way Uber works. So the rider wants the economics of Uber. It's about half the price of a taxi. But they also want the reliability of a car service. And a lot of people want the familiarity of their own chauffeur, right? Especially elderly people. They want somebody they know. Mm. And that's important to them from a lot of different perspectives. So my app allows you to look at all the on-demand drivers in a market in Richmond, for example. We're in uh, – 15 markets. We're opening Miami at 2 o'clock today. But oh. you'll be able to look at all God the— God help you, sir. <laughs> but, you know, do I want easy pass? Yes. I hate it when my Uber person has to pull over and reach for change and, and delay me because he doesn't have an easy pass. Do I want somebody that's pet-friendly? Do I want senior-friendly, disability-friendly? Those things you can now search for in my app and favorite them. So when I want to— drive or get a car tomorrow morning or an event or a date, what have you, I can send it out to my favorites. And then I can see all the people that are available that will respond. And then I get to choose which one. So I make a reservation with my app with my preferred driver in advance. That's basically what it is. From the driver's perspective, man, I um, 
I can do work by appointments. Like I have a goal of making $100 tomorrow. I can say, well, tomorrow I have four appointments. And in between my second and third appointment, I can go see my kid play soccer. Mm. So I can do things, you know, a little bit more managed style. I also have the opportunity to make a residual income because what we do is we reward drivers with um, a percentage of the fees that we charge. So if you in my car and I'll say, hey, download my app, use my code, now I'm linked to you for life. What happens is every time you use a reservation system, I'm going to get 7% of the fee back to me, no matter where you are, where you go. So if there are hundreds of you out there over time, I'm now making money while I sleep, which is very attractive to your typical Uber driver. So that's that's a benefit as well. But from a balance sheet perspective, um, you're still asset light. It's not like you're going out there buying a fleet of cars. You're not buying a pumping station. I mean, again, it's a derivative on Uber. You're you're buying the relationships and maybe to Helene's point, the intellectual property, the the, the added sauce of, of engaged entrepreneurial people out there who do want some sort of um, customer segregation in terms of people who want to be with me, people who've rated me well, I want to be in their company. And if I'm giving them my time, if I'm going to make appointments, I want it with people who I know are not going to rip me off or badmouth me. But you're not carrying assets on your books. Like when you founded this, this is just a, 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 a mousetrap app on top of Uber. Yes. They're the whale. They plowed the field. I'm a little tadpole swimming right behind them with a, a concierge kind of a service that people want. We surveyed 400 people, not a lot, but 90% of them said, yeah, I want the ability to make a reservation in advance. Um, 84% of those also said I'd prefer to have my own driver selection. 50% of those people said I'd be willing to pay two bucks for it. So those are the kinds of responses we, we get. And, and we only need 6% of the drivers. It's not the volume that Uber does to justify their $63 billion net. We, you know, we're a small piece of that. Mm-hmm. If I'm a parent paying for my freshman daughter at U of R to go to school, uh, I'd rather have her have female drivers. It's a preference. You know, Maybe that's what I want. Uh, there's all kinds of folks that look at our business. I didn't know, for example, that the blind and visually impaired can't wait for our app to be released. I mean, it's a big deal. Uber was a big deal to them, but then getting a driver that also knows about their circumstances is a huge deal to them. So the elderly, disabled, we won that um, aging 2.0 competition locally, you know, how to make life for seniors better in the future. Our app has that kind of resonance uh, effect on those folks. Would you consider a minivan with an omelet station? That somebody may want to put that in there. I mean, there's uh, the, there's a couple of people that have disco lights in their car. They sort of advertise that. There's people that are overly pet friendly. They give dog biscuits out. So if you want to take your dog on a trip to the river, you know, you would select that person. And is there a means for your drivers, the people who are affiliated with you, to get tipped? Actually, yes. above and beyond what Uber is allowing them. Absolutely, um, that's because really this is a platform for drivers disguised as a reservation system for riders. So say that again, please. This is a platform for drivers to build their book of business. It's disguised as a reservation system for riders, but really everything in it is. I'm a driver, and I built this for drivers to uh, make their lives better and make more money. So the rider who wants you to show up at 6 a.m. to go to the airport out there in the burbs, which you would never wake up looking for an Uber, hoping that you would get there. If I'm going to show up there at 6 o'clock, I can now offer that person an incentive fee to be there, like a tip. So when you look at our app, the reservation request will show the whole value of the ride, pick up, drop off, any incentive fee. And I have to make the determination, is it worth it to me as a driver? 
More likely, yes. While I, while I have you here, whether you're taking Uber or a taxi or a black car, livery cab or anything, what should be the percentage tip for excellent service? I mean, there's a lot of controversy about this. There are people in New York that if you know, have an $18 cab cross town and, and rates have gone up above the rate of inflation for years, they're saying the person's not entitled to get more than $2, you know, a 10 or 12% tip. Personally, it's I, I know it's, everybody's different, but I tip 20%. You know, I think that's fair for, for good service, right? Uh, I offer people power. I give them a bottle of water. You know, I open the door for them, I think. Um, you know, I try. And uh, normally they'll get in, get out, and then they'll think it's all included. I had one person that was devastated when they learned that the percentage of what she's paying wasn't included. Because if you go to the website of Uber, it'll say, what do you want to give your driver? 10, 15, 20% right? And they think they're actually adding the tip to every fare they take. They're not. That only applies to Uber Taxi in New York. Mm. And it says in small print, that's the only way it applies. So, most so right people, now you have to provide a cash tip, essentially, where the credit card transaction is taken care of. Right. I, I feel so guilty. You do? Yeah. Now I feel really guilty. Now I'm going to have to start tipping. I just assume the same thing. I just get in and out. In New York, when I'm in a cab, sometimes the driver says, hey, lady, ain't you going to pay? Because I'm so used to Uber. But uh, now I'm going to tip. Helene Spivak, your students are by and large um, millennials. Mm-hmm. I hate using that term, but we have to. They uh, hate it too. We have to drop it at least six times on every okay. show to have bread <laughs> with the sponsors. But uh, what, what about this incipient, for a lot of people it's promising, for a lot of people it's terrifying that many millennials out there don't want to own cars. They don't want to deal with insurance companies. It's like cord cutting. It's, it's described parallel to that. They don't want to pay a cable company. They want to have an a la carte existence you know, uh, where they could just get the, the the channels they want or the Netflix programs they want. Are you are you seeing that out there where uh, a lot of people, at least at the undergraduate and even the graduate school level, people who are born in the mid-90s right now are saying that I don't I don't need to own a car. If I calculate the cost of having a car and maintaining a car, it's much more economic for me to variableize my relationship with it. Well, it's hard for me to make a generalization because the millennials I come in contact with every day for the most part uh, are students who are living in Richmond, and not many of them have cars. Uh, everybody gets around here by, uh, you know, by bike. So, you know, I can't give you a, uh, a, you know, a general, this is the way millennials are, but judging from the way they're working and where they're living, the fact that it's uh, their, the generation of their parents, uh, for the first time that the, the children are going to be earning less than the parents, uh, so many are still living at home, uh, many come back after school, uh, I thought this would be to the delight of the parents, but it isn't necessarily so because the the emptiness they thought they had is now full. So there is a little bit of giving responsibility away and wanting to remain uh, free and untethered. So I'm not surprised. The um, and again, this is not just a shameless plug for the brand center. The kind of the kind of uh, entrepreneurial spirit I see every single day, to me, uh, belies that. I just see a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, about to be graduates who have you know fire in the belly and want to want to change the world. Whether they want to do it in a car or not, I don't know. But I do know that uh, they want to do the same kind of thing. The most brilliant ideas start with a simple need, and the simple need was that couple in Paris who said, "I just don't want one of these cabs." And Uber was born, uh, and we're seeing that more and more from a simple need um, of gee, it would be nice to have a bottle of wine. It's one in the morning. Uh, a, a new app named Clink uh, was mm-hmm. born. And that's how these things are discovered. Um, again, maybe they want to uh, relieve themselves of some responsibility, like owning a car, but then they do want to have something of purpose in this world. 
What are your thoughts, Matt? I've driven lots of folks in Richmond that have given up their car because economically it just makes sense. You know, in a town like Richmond, I agree, you know, you don't need a car. It's a neighborhood bars. Everything is close quarters. Um, you know, if I was a kid, I don't think I'd own a car. You know, when you look at all the overhead uh, that costs you, insurance, parking, everything. There are some weaknesses in the, as you said, in the Uber system. And one are uh, the surge prices. And a lot of times that happens, at least at least here in Richmond, by um, adjusting the driver's uh, cut. And when it goes down, you lose drivers. And when you lose drivers, you have surge prices. And if I were to average out what I pay every single day when it was an advantage, and now when I have to pay two and three times what it costs, it ends up getting very expensive. But it cuts to the chase of supply-demand, right? And if, if, that, yeah. if that situation persists continuously, like there's always been a shortage of cabs in New York, people are going to aspire. You see the price of the taxi medallion do much better than the S&P 500 or bonds over 30 years, right? So you would think as more and more drivers come to the market, as more and more people who have cars and uh, as, as word gets out, and this service is still growing like a wildfire. I mean, not just in the United States, but in developing economies, I mean, the fact that the decrepitude of the infrastructure, we talk about Mexico City um, and how hard it is to obtain a difficult thing, that th this fight is happening real time where the demand is there and the supply is desperately trying to, to meet it. You would have to wonder, again, this thing is worth $63 billion as of May 2016, how this is going to grow. And, and to other parts of the economy that it's going to grow into, Matt, I mean, you talk about TaskRabbit. If I, if I sit around and need a bunch of people to help me move. I can put a price out there. I can put a gig out there. I can just get that on demand. I can come up with this amorphous thing that I need help with. Um, I can offshore a project to Bangalore. I can hire somebody on a freelance level. It's it's really kind of spectacular how open-ended it is. Yeah, I guess the founders of Uber also said they wanted their phone to be a remote control for life, right? Hit a button for anything you want in life. And it's getting to that yeah. point, right? Mm. So. Uh, yeah, supply and demand, you know, how many drivers are there in Richmond? 3,000 drivers, Uber drivers. How often do they drive? Not often. Probably you have about 400 or so that are dedicated full-time. So the surge wakes people up. They get notified via text message. They're sitting out there in the uh, outskirts of town. Are you dormant? You want to make some extra yeah, scratch? Right, yeah, right, right. Hey, surge is happening in Richmond. Open up your app. Come on, come on down. So they, they do a great job, I think, managing that because surge prices have a great effect. They bring more drivers out to the market. And, and quite frankly, there are people that only drive when there's surging times available. They would not – you don't make a ton of money being an Uber driver during the day, right? It's like terrible. A trip from here to the airport could be $13, mm. you know, in my pocket, <laughs> you know, it's not a lot, um, you know, and then you go above and beyond. I've had to pick up people at uh, grocery stores and help them with their 30 bags of groceries to go five blocks for $3.20 is what I net. No tip. Oh. So, you know, there's a the good with the bad, right? So the surge pricing, you know, does help out folks that really need to make the bank they need. And um, it's fair. It's fair. You get to see it ahead of time. You don't need to take the ride. And you know, I wouldn't want to. What would it be like without surge pricing? Everybody's equal. That's not that's not fair either. Well, what would it be like if there were a loyalty program for people that take it two and three <laughs> times a day? I will say this, that one of the great customer acquisition tools they use on Uber is 
your first ride, I mean, it was free initially. And then they give you this code to go out and tweet. And if other people use it, you get another free ride. I mean, it's this del- delightful pyramid scheme, Ponzi scheme thing going on. Uh, but what it does is it it, it made me, if, especially if my first experience was great, I broadcast it uh, on Twitter, on Facebook. Other people are like, really? I can use this? It's not wrong. Oh. And then they become, they become adherents and then they broadcast it out. And the acquisition cost of that is not as huge as them buying, you know, TV space or going out there and buying billboards. Right. And so it just shows you how how nimble the company is, I think, in that in that viral thinking. Well, what's smarter than making your passengers your advocates? Yeah. Yeah. Full disclosure, uh, all things Uber today, the app that changed the world. We're talking to Uber driver Matt Donlin, who also founded a concierge service for Uber called Userve, a really smart bolt-on uh, that, that lets you pick the drivers and the appointments that you want, as well as Helene Spivak, uh, who does not have a driver's license, was a transplanted New Yorker who came in here and uh, swears by Uber, can't live without it. Um, I, you know, I had a recollection here that I was brought to Central Virginia by my relationship with my then-girlfriend, is now my wife. The first time she brought me here was um, spring of 2002. It's already 14 years ago, and I got to the airport. It was much smaller back then. And I was told to hail a cab and go to this part of town. I'd never been here before. And the cab queue at the airport, there was just one guy at a stand. It's like, well, um, we don't have taxis, but we got something called a groom car service. But I can't take just you. We're going to have to wait for somebody to share it with you. And he made me stick around for like 16 minutes. And then this guy comes in and he's like, he's like, it's Capital One worker. He's like, can you take me to the seafood festival in Browns Island and this? I was like, what the hell is going on here? This is like Pony Express. And we had to share it. And then it cost me an arm and a leg in this old, like this ancient Chevy Caprice from 1989 or something like that. And I just wonder even back then, the, the smartphone wasn't around. Um, you know, we were still using flip phones and the like. But taxi the taxi industry broadly was ripe for disruption for the longest time, especially if you talk to New Yorkers or you're, op- you're you know, opening up in Miami right now. That's been a decrepit industry for the longest time. People y- you didn't maintain their AC units. There'd be felt flying out of the roof, no door handles. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Why did it take the smartphone to kind of connect the dots for people? Again, you could have made a better service through the telephone. There could have been, there was so much dissatisfaction, Matt, on the, I think the passenger experience level that really the tipping point was this smartphone and and, and GPS and, and map capability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, they had no competition for years, right? And they just sort of like, they had no incentive. The drivers weren't driving their own cars. The drivers were getting... Fifty percent of the fare. They had to pay rent for their cars. It was, you know, it was an awful system, and it is ripe for takeover. And it's their own fault. They could have done incremental improvements, and some have. They're called car services, right? So if I'm a corporate person, I got my own car service, and that's a step up. But those were prohibitive. Taxis were prohibitive for the level of service and amenities you were getting there. There was a level of entitlement too. Fares would go up. You'd be charged by a seventh of the mile. It was very opaque pricing, you know. It's this massive bullseye to go after, but I again, I wonder why it was the smartphone that was the accelerant that kind of connected all of us. It's got to be the apps that go along with the smartphone. I have a computer in my pocket. I can do anything. People know where I am. It's GPS. The GPS, it, Uber would not be 
around if it wasn't for the GPS, right? So really the killer app was the GPS. I think so. And then also the second level of, of kind of credit card confirmation, you realize that, listen, there are risks in getting into a car with a stranger, but you're getting in with less of a stranger. Exactly. Uber. Give you the guy's first name. It's a credit card relationship going on. He has to be certified by Uber. He has to be vetted at least somewhat. Now, there's some controversy now. For example, Austin, where I was last week, is Uber's not going to be able to operate there because they disagree with the fingerprinting right. verification that the city wants to push through. Now, here's a very tech-forward, liberal-thinking city in a massive red state where you know Uber is going to maybe have to be flexible and maybe going to have to budge on its demands to grow with that city. And by the way, traffic was terrible when I was there, and it wasn't easy to hail an Uber. Coming back to this, really, I want to get at the predictions that you have for this to expand into other things and what an Uber is going to look like in five or 10 years. Again, it's never been – this is really unprecedented. Could you imagine if the biggest car service company, the biggest – uh, taxi conglomerate or medallion thing were valued at $63 billion. It has not gone public yet, but when and if it does, it's going to have a ton of money. I mean, what are the logical expansions for something like this? And you are a tech thinker. You're a tech investor. You're a person who might be able to extrapolate out these things. Where is this headed? Well, since Uber recently opened up their API, right? Now they are... Now Tell they, us what that means. Um, it, it allows people in other businesses to hook into their... Uh, device or their platform. So you can build certain things like if I wanted to do food delivery, uh, you know, or reminder services or anything else, I can use Uber in my app. So I can use their API uh, uh, protocol, you know, for new businesses. So I think it's just going to blossom into all kinds of other businesses. Fortunately, there is good and bad with that. You have to recognize that once you use their API, you're beholding to them. If they change something, it could affect your business. That's why we've opted not to have to use any anything regarding Uber or Lyft because we're independent kind of a thing. Where is it going? Already you'll see Uber Eats. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening. I, I can't predict, though, because you're right. It is unprecedented. I have no idea. All I know is it's working and, and people are emotional about Uber, right? I mean, I ask people in my car, how do you like Uber? It's not, I like it. I love it. They, it's, it's something it's not, where- It's just that it's become intuitive like Google. Like I'd, I'd much rather do that than go to a taxi queue now. For example, if my plane is landing, you know, I can, I can order it. It gives you the little swipe thing on the bottom that you want an UberX. Do you want to request a car seat? You're, you're at the baggage claim terminal. You can maintain some modicum of control over an experience where you had very little control in the past. Like the, the cab queue at LaGuardia is an example, right? It's like you're herded into it. You might get one where the it has a no smoking sign on it, but the guy smokes anyway. They're rude to you. They're, it smells. The AC doesn't work. There's a uniformity of experience. And by dint of the rating system, you can kind of – you as the passenger say, look, I'm paying for it. I can uh, reward and punish accordingly. And we can do the same with passengers. A lot of people don't realize that passengers are also rated. They do. They are. Yeah. yeah. With an Uber. I had a 3.6 person rated, and I had to go find this person because I've never seen anybody that low. <laughs> and it turns out he was in a car with his buddies drunk, and the Uber had a bad experience. The Uber driver rated them zero. I didn't realize that. The Uber driver rates Absolutely. passengers. And matter of fact, the only three things we know – we have 15 seconds to accept a ride is how far away are you, what's your address, and what's your rating. I will not pick up somebody that's a 3.6 or 4.2. If it's a 4.6, maybe. So we get 
to decide as drivers who we want to go pick up. And a lot of people don't know that. Aren't you curious now, Helene, what your rating eight. is? I'm a 4.8. How do you know what your rating is? Because I asked. <laughs> Did you break a code of silence, a no. Cosa Nostra people by People ask her? me all the time. Yeah. I'll, I'll let it connect and I'll tell you. Because what the problem is, is that when they need that Uber at 2 a.m., they may not get one, and they know that, and they do anything to try Karma and get, is a bitch. It yeah. is. It is. And uh, the one guy, I said, listen, I almost didn't come pick you up. You're trying to get to the bus because you're rating so low. He went, oh, my God. He goes, how can I get it up? I said, well, I'll give you a five-star, but it's going to take you a while. Or $20. No. In the never. palm of your hands? Never. What if I were to sing for you a tap dance? What if you picked your favorite song from the 80s? Actually, could we work this out right now? <laughs> could we arrange something? And, and you know, in the interest of you full disclosure. You can use my app to get me as your favorite. And, I will. But what would you like me to sing right now so you can goose up my app? I'm worried that I'm damaged goods on the Ubers. I got to worry about my FICO score now, my GPA, my ERA, my blood type. Gosh. <laughs> Beatles, baby, won't Do you want me to sing car? for you? Do you want me to sing for you? What way. happens in the worst case scenario if a person's a complete train wreck or is always – what are those things called? The drunk the drunk rides, the late at night, the Uber drivers say, I don't do the drunk runs. I, I don't either, so I don't know what they call it. Uh -huh. You know, all, all I do know is that your app as a rider could get canceled uh, because of your rating, and that happens periodically. So is the same true as a driver? Yes. The driver actually has to go take a class and pay $100 to get recertified if they fall below a certain threshold. Um, you know, but by the way, you know, it's more than likely, you know, it's a game of attrition. You know, one of Uber's problems is trying to maintain the pool of drivers they have because a lot of reasons they'll go off and do other things and, and they're always trying to get. Well, let me, let me ask you, Matt, in the interest of, um, you know, equilibrating supply and demand, is Uber priced correctly right now in your experience? I know you don't want to badmouth them. Certainly there, there, there've been lots of uh, gripes about tips, about surge pricing. There's already been movements to unionize. Uh, it seems that it is it is oftentimes half the price of an equivalent taxi. And you know what? I'm fine with that because I don't have to work there. You know, I'm a big believer in that if you don't like it, don't do it. It's it's not they're not an employer. I am an independent contractor. I want to stay that way. I want to work where I want to work. I want to wear what I want to wear. I, the time I work is up to me. Uh, you know, nothing is better. And, and people that complain about it just should get out, in my opinion. Uh, you make what you make. We did not mention the big competitor, the big uh, Pepsi-Cola to Uber's Coca-Cola is Lyft. And what do they do differently? I mean, is there a chance for them to maybe come in and uh, cede more margin to the driver? Yes, then they do, you know, because their app does allow for tipping. Um, it's a different it's a it's a different culture a little bit. And, and in some cities, they're more popular than Uber. Um, Denver is one, Austin's another, uh, and they're, they're starting to make, you know, a good penetration. Uh, I don't drive for Lyft. They're not in Richmond. They are in Virginia beach. Uh, so, you know, a lot of drivers have both in their car, you know, now they'll tell you that it pings and a ping is a request for a ride a lot more with the Uber than with the Lyft. So that's why they have it. If they had a choice, I don't know what app they would prefer because I've never had to, or never have driven for Lyft. But I hear it's very popular. Helene, close us out. Give us your perspective on growth. And by the way, you're, you're, you're in the presence of all these people who are innovating and building better mousetraps and, and using these things. Uber has become like intuitive, like Google, like Kleenex. You just use it synonymously with a, with a, with a way of uh, gigging, a way of life, a way of thinking. Um, 
And I, I just want to kind of get at where this heads. Uh, I completely did not see this coming. And so I'm very curious as to what it looks like in five or 10 or N years. Well, I'm also really interested in where the automobile industry is going with the self-driving cars, which could also uh, revolutionize things quite a bit, uh, which is to eliminate the drivers uh, totally and call Uber and get uh, get the model car you want driving you around. But uh, as you said, the, the phone is basically the key to the world. Uh, the smartphones... The, uh, Definitely the uh, the portal to absolutely everything you want. Um, I don't know if it's here, but in New York, there's also pet delivery through Uber, and they did an experiment with uh, driving with puppies. Uh, people are just trying to open up and uh, and see how what can be delivered to my door, and how can we use this as the world's in this case most expensive shopping cart. Hmm. I mean, uh, maybe it's going to be a dry cleaning service. Maybe I'm going to get all my meals from there if I'm not going to get them from the uh, the meals that are delivered that I can uh, that have all the ingredients in them for me to cook. Uh, apps have made this world uh, at your doorstep. And I just wonder why it's not something that it's again sixty two billion dollars. That's Matt. That's pure margin. They're not carrying any inventory. It's really for the carrying costs of the the transaction service behind the scenes. The app. Right? It's not like they're paying for the cell phone service legal. that you're using or GPS legal and everything. And they have some settlement costs and legal costs across the country, but that's pure margin. Well, in Virginia, it costs $100,000 to be a uh, organization, TNC, Transportation Network Company. So it's a barrier to entry, right? So they, in Virginia, they've one of the first ones to put a TNC law out there. Uh, there's a lot of places where Uber still is probably illegal, but they operate. Yeah. But you can't ignore loyalty. And they were the first ones out. And usually the first ones out, when you're satisfied, you stay with them. Um, I, I haven't even tried Lyft. There are other services in New York that are much cheaper, but I don't sign up for them when I'm there because I'm sure that Uber will be there. They will be there on time. And they always uh, they pay off. So why would I switch? You know, I've noticed something recently that is something that I, I keep an eye out for. I, I look at when Uber first came to Richmond, the quality of the drivers, I think, was absolutely stunning compared to your taxi mm -hmm. industry. I've seen now a lot of people abandon taxis as drivers and come be Uber drivers. There's a culture they're bringing with them. I've had some bad experiences myself as a passenger, and I worry about that a little bit. You know, So I, I see there's a melding of the two where the drivers that make their living in taxis say, oh, there's a better mousetrap, let me go. But they bring the same sometimes attitude and culture with them that is sometimes not in the best interest or what has made Uber exceptional. Well, I haven't yet. But what is the difference since you know both Lyft and Uber? What's the culture of Lyft? Lyft is sit in the front seat, give me a fist bump, right? Okay. They, they want to have that, you know, come on, buddy, you're my friend kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Uber is more like a little bit more formal, in my opinion. Have a seat in the back. I'll give you a great experience there. That's just about 89% of everything you needed to know about Uber. And again, I am very curious to see where this is headed in several years, uh, having missed it and only taken my first Uber in Boston in August of 2015. So uh, let's leave it there. Thank you so much. Matt Donlin, founder and CEO of Userve. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. And Helene Spivak of the Brand Center. Pleasure being here. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine, reminding you that I'm like an Uber of thought leadership. So ping me on Huli. We're on NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, WRIR, and ACAST. Goose up my passenger rating, please. Make me whole. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week. You can't go on.